So somebody, can I get a volunteer to read the scripture after that? I feel like such a letdown. Thank you. Our scripture reading this day comes from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, 5 through 6, and 8 through 10. Let us hear God's word. And all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read it from facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day, this your church. May your Holy Spirit open us up just a little bit more, Lord. Stretch us so that we may receive your eternal word, which is full of nothing but unfettered joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to let you all in on a secret. Pastors, in spite of what we would lead you to believe, or the myth we often try to perpetuate, we have egos. <laughs> we do. You know, people think that pastors don't have, yes, we absolutely do. And I'll never forget when that became a reality for me. Uh, when my ego was pricked. It's not ever funny. Have you ever had your ego pricked? Yeah. Oh, it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. And that happened to me a few years ago. I was doing a pulpit supply at Smallwood Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, downtown Charlotte. And it's a really small church. If you've ever been to our church office, right, that's the size of the church, excluding the office space. That rectangle is the narthex, the sanctuary, the chancel, the choir room, 
the children's ministry room. It all happened in those pews. It was one row. It was interesting because you walked around. And I'll never forget, I preached there over a, a few months, and i got to tell you, it's something that will stretch you if you've ever had, gotten a chance to preach at a really small African-American congregation. Because they sounded like it was about 250,000 people, and it was 40. No lie, 40 people. And, I, and preaching there, was, it, was, it was a great joy. And, and one Sunday, my final Sunday, there was a lady sitting in the back in a wheelchair. And you can tell that this is the grandma of the church. You know, the pastor had no power. The session had no power. The power of the church resided in this woman in that wheelchair in the back. And she just had an aura about her. And during every Sunday, she would just look with this sense of just this smile on her face. And there was just such a peace and contentment, you couldn't really tell what was going on. The only movement she did was the fan, and this church is small and old school. You ever been to a church that has the picture of Martin Luther King Jr. on it? The paper fan, and the only way you get cooled down is that, and that's what she would do all service. And I preached my final sermon there, and in the narthex, in the back of the room, I bent down and said, you know, I'm really gonna miss you all. I'm gonna miss these months uh, in worship with you all, and she says to me, this statement she says she says pastor Chris and I said yes and she said I want to hear you pray here's that ego prick I'm thinking well what in the world have I been doing the last six months last couple hours today and she says no 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 I want to hear you pray what she was asking was something that I was unfamiliar with I had not been in a context like that. The church's budget was $38,000 a year. The building had all manner of issues. But when that opening song happened, it was almost as if you weren't on planet Earth. None of that mattered. There was a sense of joy in this place. And so what she was asking me was not, I want to hear you pray, I don't, not that I want to hear if you can do better or use bigger words or speak longer, which has never been a problem for me, by the way, or if you could be a little bit more fancy in your presentation. No, she was asking, where is the joy in your proclamation? That's the question we hear today. Ezra and Nehemiah are sent to provide spiritual, political leadership to a struggling Judean community. You see, there was issues, there was exile, there was, there was death, there was destruction, there was guilt, there was disappointment. The people felt a genuine disappointment, so much so that when they heard the law of God, there was no joy, but their first response was to be like, oh no. There was mourning, weeping, fear, guilt, shame. We all know these. When the law was spoken, the challenge was issued. Nehemiah says, this day is holy. So if you come, when you come into this place as the gathered people of God, 
The only thing that matters is joy. You remember the song? And some of you, we all have guilty pleasures, right? We all like those songs that we think that no one knows that we really know and that we sing in the shower or we sing on our way home from church. But it's applicable here. He was asking them like Taylor Swift in that parking lot to shake it off. All the guilt, all the shame, when you come into this building, it is about the goodness of God. So the question that we ask ourselves is, I wonder where is the joy? How many of you would say going to church is nothing but pure and unfettered joy? No one raised their hands. So there's two definitions here, okay? So the way it's put in, in the book here, it's, it's either that the joy of the Lord is your strength or that the Lord's joy is strength. Either way you slice it, God and joy go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. So if we were to believe that, there's no bitterness, there's no, there's no shame, there's no sense of uh, why me, Lord, there's no, there's no sense of I just can't do it. There is unfettered joy. But I think our struggle in our context is that we struggle to understand the difference between joy and happiness. Because nowhere in Scripture does God promise to make us happy. You can't find that anywhere. Happiness may not be the result of the Christian life all the time. We all know this. But joy is something different. And I researched the difference between joy and happiness over and over. And, and all I could find, the, the, the two sticking points that I really could get to was that, that joy is consistent and it comes from within. Happiness is based on external things, triggered by events, things, people, feelings. So how do we understand the difference between joy and happiness in the context of Christian living? This is where it gets fun. You see, one thing we're really good at is the pursuit of happiness. That's what life is centered around. If we were to be fully honest with ourselves, what concerns us most is whether or not I'm happy. Will this make me happy? That's the first thing, the first question when someone's asked, hey, will you serve on this? The first response is not, no, am I called? Or is there something I can give? Is would this make me happy? When we make decisions, we base them on, will it make us feel happy? But the kingdom of God has always been bigger than just the pursuit of happiness. It's always been about the joy of the Lord. That's why so much of our conversation in church is, revolves around the word preference. Right? Preference. What makes me happy in this moment? What makes me happy in that moment? Well, if you do this, I'm not going to be so happy. We talked a little bit about, of it, about it in our annual meeting, right? Difficulties we have with things. I wonder if we'd have these difficulties if we truly experienced the joy of the Lord. 
I remember in my last church, we joined services. We're going to put a choir and a band together. And we're going to move out of the sanctuary into this unsacred space. Because everybody, the majority, felt it would be a good thing to do. It's not that we said that God would change. Just our form and how we worship God. And I got to tell you, you would have thought that we asked people to take the cross down off of the church house just to cover it up. It was like this big thing. I mean, there was meetings and elder meetings. I can't believe you would do this. It's my church. I've been here 20 years. I've been here two. It's not the way I want it. The pursuit of happiness. That's what, what makes me happy. But when joy comes into the conversation, it changes it, right? So when I graduated seminary, we were in a big class. It was a pew about that size. And when we walked into the building after rehearsal, there was a few books. There was eight books lined up, and the book was called The Joy of Ministry. And on the inscription, I opened the first page, and it said, it was the first free book ever in seminary. It was the, and it said on, the, on this inscription, it said, Dear Chris, may God bless you with much joy in your ministry. And it was signed, Thomas W. Curry III. And I didn't understand it then, but what I understand is that he didn't say, may God bless you with a really big church. Or may God bless you with a really big budget. Or may God bless you with a really fancy title. He didn't say, may God bless you with feeling great about what you're going to do all the time. He didn't say, may God bless you with much happiness. He said, may God bless you with much joy. Where is joy? That grandmother in the back asks us that question. The same one Nehemiah asked. Where is joy? And if you Googled the word Presbyterian, a picture of Tom Curry would come up. So it makes it easier to swallow the quotes or some of the statements that I'm about to share because the man's family bleeds Presbyterianism. On his shirt, it says, I am a Reformed Calvinist, squared. He loves the church. But he says in his book, he says this, the misery of mainline of the mainline Protestant church is that there is a certain joylessness to it. There is an inability to respond to the irresponsible gift of God's grace. So if we're to ask where's the joy, we struggle with it. It's hard for us because we are so often consumed with the pursuit of what do I want? What makes me feel good? How many of you would ever say that you lost control in church? Some of you, yeah, a long time ago, way back when, you know, right? You lost control. I mean, that's what he said, this irresponsible. We don't hear of God's graces. We don't, we don't like that sense, right? And, and, the best illustration I can give you is this, and Andy has no idea this is coming, but everyone got a hoot out of it. Nice, we're going to share it. it, it it'll 
So we're at my first Presbytery meeting. My first one out in Longview, Texas. And we're in there, and it's a room full of all these tables, all these, you know, holy pastors and holy elders and stuff. And there's this table up front. And during this day, there was a game. I think it was Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. It was the one where Texas won, okay? So we're sitting there, and this guy is giving this wonderfully powerful presentation about the gospel. Middle East. They had gone through these hours of these are the numbers, and this is what happens. And then in a moment, all of a sudden, in the stillness of the meeting, you hear this and see this. <laughs> it's the Canyon Creek table, of course, right? And I'm looking like, what just happened? And it's like almost red. <laughs> and it <laughs> and wait a minute. And it almost just like in this moment, the whole room lights up. And everyone's like, alright, fine, it's like, let's stop this. What's the score? And so that reaction gives everybody in the room this wonderful permission to like, okay, now I can openly use check the score on my phone. All right, guys, what time? Where we got? What we got? But it was interesting. Have you ever felt like that just in Christian living where you get this sense where you just feel like, yes, but it doesn't fit sort of the, the mood, so you just kind of keep it, you know, but it, it's okay. And that's, I think, a, a little bit what he's, what he's talking about, right, is that where is the joy in what we do? In the Lord our God. He notes the words of Alexander Scheman, who was the dean of St. Vladimir Seminary in New York, when he says that uh, Christianity without joy is like fear and torture. I see, we see that. We get the best looks up, don't we, when we're preaching or teaching? We get the best looks. So sometimes we don't know whether or not you're joyful or you're tortured. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the look, I mean, it's just like sometimes you're looking like, and it's just like, these are the, the looks of a churchgoer. Okay, you've made your point. Or the other ones are, my favorite is the nod where people are acting like they're looking at their bulletin. You know? Or the ones when people are looking with that sort of empty glass stare. It's like, I have no idea what on earth you're talking about, but I'm going to look like I do. I mean, we, we can't tell, you know, sometimes there is this sense of, it, oh, this, this, it's almost like going to church is just like, just, oh, I'll just go, I'll just go. And it begs the question, where is the joy in what we do? He goes on to say, his argument is the reason why we are the way we are is because we have no idea what to do with joy. God is so good then we have no idea what to do with it. So what do we do with it? What we do is, what he says is to chase after perfection and elegance. That's what we do. That's our response because that's our pursuit of happiness. So what we do is, we, we don't know what to do with this joy, so we try to control it and, and categorize it. And he says this process, we've used the word called sacred and we've used these other words, but he said that the, the mainline buzzword is 
liturgically appropriate. <laughs> right? I don't know what to do with it, so let's give it a fancy name. Liturgically appropriate. Remember there was a church, Charlotte, Charlotte One. It wasn't a church. They gathered every Tuesday night downtown. It was an amazing ministry, vibrant, all sorts of ages, kids from 80. I mean, it was just a beautiful thing to gather on Tuesday night. And they said, we're not a church. We're a place to come and let your burdens down. That's all it was. That worship service music and you went home. That's all it was. There was no asks beyond that. And I remember sitting in a meeting with a group of pastors. Getting a group of pastors, that's always a fun meeting. And we were talking about, you know, what, I wonder what it is that they're doing. I mean, should one of us go down and send a delegation and see what, they're, what they got going on? And my favorite was around the room, and the, and the comment was, you know what we say, right? As good reform. Well, that's not who we are, because I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if that's reformed theology. So we've got this vibrant ministry downtown. And best we got, that's not who we are. A negative statement. But hey, they're growing, it's vibrant, but you know what? We are theologically sound. <laughs> Y'all heard that before, we say it all the time, that's theologically sound. But what joy happens, when joy happens, when, when joy becomes a reality for us, what that does for us is it helps us to not worry about some of the secondary and ancillary things, right? And that's what happened at Smallwood Presbyterian Church. Every Sunday was just outpouring of joy. That's what it was. All of the other stuff, the stuff that we carry, the ways we've fallen short didn't matter. It was about worshiping the Lord our God for just about two and a half hours. And no one cared how long the sermon was, how long the song was. That just wasn't, by the halfway through the sermon, the bulletin was like under the floor, under the pew. No one was holding it. It was just like, you just sort of, sort of went on. But there was a joy in that process. If you're like me, do you ever wonder why some of the things that we see in the Bible, some of the signs and some of the depictions of worship don't line up with what we actually do? Do you ever wonder that? I'm not just talking about Pentecost, but even in this passage, right? Like Pentecost is like our holy day. It's okay to be loose in worship, right? That's Pentecost. But there's other days, right? Amen, amen. People lifting up their hands, dancing, rejoicing, singing. You ever wonder why it doesn't line up? I don't know. I'm not sure. But what we do know is that joy of the Lord is our strength. How many of you have heard of Van Jones, CNN contributor? Y'all know Van? Okay. You know, Van is the reason why I shaved my head, because my wife thinks he's cute. <laughs> I'm so serious. I, saw, I had hair, and then I saw Van Jones, and I saw the way my wife looked at him, and I said, I'm shaving mine. <laughs> so Van Jones is a wonderful commentator, and, and there was an event that happened in Charleston, South Carolina, 2015, and... Reporters were asking a question. It was the first worship service at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston. That was the church where the nine folks were senselessly murdered in a Bible study. And the reporter, and if you were to look at the day, I mean, it was almost like a block party. The first Sunday, all manner of people from all backgrounds had gathered. 
And of course, the news outlets were there for the first worship service. And I mean, it was just a show. And the reporter was so genuinely confused. He's trying to get through an interview with Van Jones, and he says, what is going on? Like, help me to describe this, because you would think that this would be a solemn experience. And he says, he says, what you are seeing right now is the real definition of joy. It's not happiness. Joy is hallelujah anyhow. That's what joy is. In this church, through all the years in its history, has been through so much, the only response and the recourse to that is joy. It's hallelujah anyhow. It's not determined by things on the outside that happen, the triggers that make us happy, sad, mad, or confused, or whatever. When there's a sense of joy in the gospel of Christ, and when they gather in this place, none of that stuff matters. That's what you're seeing. That's the sounds you hear coming from that sanctuary. And if you YouTube it, you'll see that the service is just about a little over two and a half hours. And songs are sung, how great thou art. Our God is good. Joyful, joyful. And the place is just rocking and it doesn't make sense. He compares this concept of hallelujah anyhow to their journey in Charleston. Could you imagine being a predominantly African-American church that was started in 1821 in Charleston, South Carolina? Joy, that's all you have. So when we think of joy as hallelujah anyhow, it means that we have a song when there's no song to even be sung. It's hallelujah any place where it doesn't matter. It can be in your car, in your office, where you think and you reflect upon the goodness of God so much where it's just like, you know what, I can't take it no more. It's being joyful when there's no reason to be joyful. It's being in a place where you can raise your hands and think or shout if you so dare, God, how good you have been. Joy. It's appropriate that we talk about this after our annual meeting. Because we can walk around and see all the great stuff and good things. We can also focus, it's hard not to focus on where, where are some of the things that we're struggling in a little bit. But what we must never forget is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not in our pastors, our program, our building. I don't care where the leaks in the building are. We have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and we gather to bring that through. You, it almost happened last week. Andy was there. Someone almost said hallelujah. It almost happened. Right? It's not just about an outward expression. It's not what it is. It's a genuine sense of contentment in who God is in Jesus Christ. A church I told you about. Think about its history. It was started by Denmark Vesey, a civil rights activist. He and the other founding five members of the church were secretly killed in a secret trial, which happened a lot in the deep, deep south. They worshiped underground until after the Civil War when they came above ground and built. And it was burned down by an angry mob 
once, then they rebuild. And for many years on, they've been a place of, of, civil, of civil conversation, discourse, conversation, and sometimes protest. Their pastor in the sermon says, he had a conversation with a reporter on his way into the building, and the reporter was so confused about why and how the, the people could be happy. Gender, gender inclusive language does not really exist in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So I'm just going to quote what he said in the sermon. And he says, if you were to understand the families of the nine, which is who they're called, and if you were to understand who their daddy is, you would know why they're smiling in the interview. You would know why, if you knew the families of the nine's daddy, you would know why they are forgiving, why they have chosen to forgive, why they have chosen to love. If you knew the families of the nine's daddy, you would know that they believe that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Joy. Karl Barth once wrote, if you have heard the Easter message, one can no longer walk around with a tragic face and a lack of humor or have no hope. It's like the words of the anthem today. When we think about the goodness of God, how can we keep from sin?